Welcome to Talking Biotech, a podcast brought to you by Collabra, a collaborative electronic laboratory notebook that brings all of your data together in one shared space. I'm Kevin Fulta. I'm a professor, keynote speaker, and strategic communication coach. My passion is to introduce you to the most exciting breakthroughs in new technology because the future of medicine, agriculture, and conservation is hopeful and exciting. On this weekly podcast, we talk to the experts in science, learning about new technologies that can help people and the planet. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. Now, when we think about the immune system, we think of this finely tuned system that protects us from foreign invaders, this system of surveillance in the body that monitors for bacteria, fungi, viruses, other foreign protein products, other antigens. Now, the body has this capacity to mount an immune response, to learn and remember that it saw a certain threat, a certain protein signature. These aspects of the immune system allow us to train it, to maintain a durable response against a pathogen. So it's a process like vaccination, right? So one of the most adaptable levels of immune response are the antibodies. So these molecules that are produced to meet a new antigenic threat, or you know, also known as maybe a foreign thing. The production of antibodies allows the body to target these new threats. And so what if your immune system could not just be trained to produce these antibodies, but what if cells could be programmed with specific instructions to attack a problematic cell type, like those involved in cancer? And could those molecules, those antibodies that are produced, be used to neutralize cancer and be used as therapeutics in a suite of different disease states. And on today's podcast, we're speaking with Dr. Liang Schweitzer. She's the founder and CEO of Hi-Fi Bio up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Schweitzer. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. This is really exciting because it's something that I admittedly know very little about. I've learned about immunology. I've learned about immunotherapies. I'm captivated by learning about them, but it's, it's so complex that it's something that I felt was really important for us to distill down for someone to understand kind of how it works in the, in the very simple sense, but then translate that into the front cutting edge and understand what's going on. So let's start out at the beginning. What is this broad idea of immunotherapy? Yeah, indeed. Our own immune system is quite complex. To this day, we cannot say we understand most of it. But one of the phenomena people early on already understand by modulating immune system, you can treat disease. The initial approach is looking at autoimmune diseases where you modulate immune systems, trying to, you know, overcome some of the illnesses people encountered. Um, the most interesting part recently draw people more attention to immunotherapy is the fact that people find out we can modulate our own immune system to fight cancer. So immunotherapy today in a lot of people's mind is talking about how to activate immune system to treat cancer. That comes from the work early on. Actually, I personally got involved in at back at BMS Times, where we're looking at a drug called ipinimumab, and the brand name is Uvoy, that target a checkpoint inhibitor called CTRA4. So we have, at that time, successfully proved the concept by modulating immune system by eliminate, or removing the function of a negative suppressor of the immune system, which we call checkpoint, can activate T-cells that against, you know, subsequently kill the tumor cells. So that was the basically a start of a new era. Subsequently, there are other checkpoint inhibitors like PD-1 and it's like in PD-L1, there are modulations sent around. So now afterwards, fast forward, now there are many efforts sent around how to 
modulate immune system, not only for the adaptive systems like T cells, but also for inert systems, people start looking at NK cell therapies. So there's a lot of understanding associated with that subsequently, and people start thinking about how to apply immune modulations into diseases beyond autoimmune cancer, possibly in other diseases as well. We are thinking about a possibility for certain cardiovascular, metabolic, even neuronal degeneration type of efforts. Immune system can play a critical role. That's what's looking forward. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I, I've seen a lot of this so far, especially with the neurodegenerative stuff we've covered here on the podcast. But let me go back just a little bit because there's some concepts here I'd like to you clarify. When you say checkpoint, are you talking about cell cycle checkpoints? Because that's where we usually think about these. Or are you speaking about some sort of a immune system checkpoint? Yeah, it's great you clarified that, um, Kevin, because indeed early days, especially in the cancer field, yeah, we, we talk about cell cycle <laughs> checkpoints and others. But this is specifically in the immune therapy setting where we talk about checkpoints, those are the pathways that are involved in regulate immune responses. Normally, it's where, you know, in the normal physiological functions, those checkpoints are involved in you know, self-tolerance and to control immune system in a way that it wouldn't be overactive to, uh, you know, come up with situations where attacking its own cell. In situations where autoimmune diseases, some in the situation where the checkpoint gating, you know, into deregulating, so people will experience some symptoms that you know, where, where the immune system start, you know, dealing with its own cells. So those are the type of system in place that has been already, you know, well understood over the years. And uh, now we are in immuno-oncology, we have leveraged those scientific understandings, trying to activate instead of inhibit as in autoimmune diseases to to activate immune system. So you remove the negative regulation of the checkpoint. Okay. Now that makes a lot of sense to me. So in the immune system, when you have a hyperactive immune system, such as like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, or maybe Crohn's disease, whatever, you're seeing this kind of enhanced or a lack of gating, a lack of a checkpoint that kind of constrains what the immune system does. And it starts to go after self. Whereas in the case of cancer, it, that same checkpoint is constrained and doesn't go after self when we would like it to go after self. So what you're talking about is how do you treat, how do you train an immune system to actually go after self when it crosses the line in the cancer? Yeah. In the situation of cancer, the self with the quotation mark is referred to the cancer cells. <laughs> you you skill. You still not want to, you know, attack your own normal cells, but cancer cells has ways to invade immune surveillance. So in that situation, you know, the checkpoint inhibitor no longer have the function to, to attack cancer cells where we wanted to remove that negative immune suppression to activate the system. What? I really appreciate your clarification there. It helps me understand this a lot, but could you help me also understand, you know, I have an immune system. It works pretty good. So why do we need to come up with something that can discern cancer from other normal self cells? Why, why doesn't our body automatically go after cancer? In a, Actually, I, I would imagine a lot of us, normally our immune system was good enough <laughs> to get rid of some, you know, cancer-like cells, which are the cells out of the normal control. One of the hallmark of cancer cells is continuously proliferation. And, and we do normally have our immune system to keep those cells in check. But as we develop being, some individuals have compromised immune cells, some cancer cells also on top of it to figure out ways to escape our normal immune surveillance. So in that situation, you have to use therapies to modulate immune systems to recognize those escaped 
cancer cell, if you will. And in the meantime, you know, for, for people who might be not have enough cancer, I mean, immune power to fight cancer cells, you wanted to boost the immune system further to be able to fight cancer cells. No, very good. And you said something there that I'd also like to clarify with the average listener is you said boost the immune system. So this means a very specific targeting to changing the way a certain cell identifies its target, not the go to the gas station and someone sells you a a drink for $4 that says it'll boost your immune system. You're talking about (laughs) what you don't want to do. Boosting your immune system isn't a good idea. Ask anyone with lupus. Um, But the idea being selectively changing the function of specific cell types to identify their targets or, or potential targets a little better. Yes. So, so when you're talking about, you know, different modulations and one of the important aspects to treat a disease is to figure out in that specific disease setting where the immune dysregulation happens, right? Whether it's exhausted T cells no longer can fight cancer cancer cells or where uh, situations where I, I like you mentioned the gas station <laughs> where we, we, we have too many breaks there <laughs> where immune cells cannot be activated due to too many breaks. So checkpointing inhibitor, often we see this as the breaks is there preventing your immune system to fight the cancer. So we using, you know, checkpoint inhibitor to remove the breaks. So it lets it go. But in the meantime, another way is you could also adding gas to stimulate immune cells to make them go forward too. So, so that's actually one of the two approaches people in the field has been trying really to, to figure out. So, you know, for in each individual diseases and individual patients even, where your immune um, balance needs to be achieved to restore your immune activity, you you need to figure out what's the disease context first. Oh, very good. And I love your analogy. I think it's spot on. You have the gas and the brakes. And how do we energize the appropriate parts of the immune system to take action while keeping the brakes on where it doesn't overcommit? And, and so how do we, how have immune therapies or immunotherapies, because we've heard about this for a little while now, what are some of the big success stories where immunotherapies have been successfully targeted to a specific cell type? Yeah. So, so one of the biggest breakthrough in cancer field is PD-1 therapeutics. So that's in addition to CTF4, I just mentioned earlier, PD-1 is another checkpoint inhibitor. And often, you know, it's, it's, you could think it, it's a general break <laughs> for multiple tumor types across multiple individual patients. So as a consequence, when you have PD-1, anybody specifically that those are the therapy that subsequently those multiple tumor types or multiple patients will respond to that inhibition, release the break, if you will. So the outcome, that's one of the biggest success is as a monotherapy of PD-1, they're about somewhere, you know, around 30% responses, average different kind of tumor types. Of course, the certain tumors responding could be even more sum up. So this is really totally changing the landscape for cancer treatment. As you know, early days, you know, with chemo and targeted therapy, there's limited successes and there's clearly unmet medical needs. So immunotherapy coming out here provide a really another noble option for patients with terminal illness like cancer that indeed, you know, was one of the really exciting moments for us as drug developers in the field. But this is the exciting part for me is being able to not just modulate immune function, which is, which is very important, obviously, but being able to reprogram immune function. And it seems like that's really a a highlight of a lot of the immunotherapy programs that's, that are going on that your company has really honed and really sped up. So before we get into your solution, 
let's talk a lot about a little bit about the problem is what are some of those barriers to having efficient development of antibodies or other molecules that can help modulate this immunotherapy response? Yeah, this is an excellent question, Kevin. Clearly, you know, after the success of PD-1, there's a lot of effort trying to develop immune modulators and so far hasn't had some other groundbreaking outcome yet. That's also because immune system is very fine-tuned, well-balanced system. So where you could imagine, you know, you release one brick somewhere else might have corresponding responding changes. So in order to understand the immune balance, we need to understand much better of all those important pathways, players in the immune system. So this is one level of complexity, the biology itself. Then the second level of complexity is diseases. Like if we're looking at cancer itself, we have certain cancer we call hot tumor, certain cancer we call cold tumor. It's because in the tumor microenvironment, its own immune context are very different. They are the hot tumors are the ones who has immune cells surrounded and immune modulation would have much more effective versus cold tumors where, you know, you, you probably have totally minimal immune system presence. So, so making modulation of those cold tumor difficult and there, there were efforts in industry where people try to turn cold tumor into hot tumor by, you know, enhanced immune filtration to tumor microenvironment. But those are the efforts so far, you know, still in very much exploratory stage. But personally, I'm confident we will, with, you know, enhanced understanding of immune modulation, with enhanced understanding of disease, especially looking at individual cell level centered around the disease context. And, uh, you know, we, we will have much better tools or approaches to conquer disease. No, very good. And, and let's talk about that more on the other side of the break. We're speaking with Dr. Liang Schweizer. She's the founder and CEO of Hi-Fi Bio. And this is Calabra's Talking Biotech podcast. And we'll be back in just a moment. This podcast is brought to you by Calabra, featuring their electronic laboratory notebooks. One of the challenges of being a laboratory PI is that when working with diverse scientists, you find a diversity of record-keeping preferences. And this can make long-term curation of data a real challenge. Now, looking back a few years, I always wonder, where was that plasmid clone and how was it made? Uh, where was that weird reagent purchased? Where are those data from the first two replicates that would have made a great final figure for that manuscript? We've all been there. It's frustrating. It slows progress and can lead to valuable wasted time and reagents. Electronic laboratory notebooks are a solution, and Collabra's products help your team chronicle their discovery together in one shared space. Learn more at Collabra.app. That's C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. And now we're back on Collabra's Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Liang Schweitzer. She's the founder and CEO of Hi-Fi Bio, and they're experts in Modern immunotherapies, and this is a topic we've covered now for a number of years in a number of different forms, and what is really a diverse field, but they're making some innovative steps forward that we'll cover here in the second half of the podcast. So Dr. Schweitzer, when you started the company, what were some of the major barriers to effective application of immunotherapies? Immunotherapy is still facing a lot of challenges due to complex biology, disease heterogeneity. And after PD was known, there there were there has been limited successes in, you know, breakthrough immunomedicine. So one of the things at Hi-Fi Bio is we try to understand immune context at the single cell level. So we think if we're looking at a mixture of immune cells or looking at diseases in a heterogeneous state, there are lack of precision understanding of those biology that prevent you from better solution. 
So High Five Bio originally started with five scientifical founders from different disciplines, from physics to medicine, where they're thinking about using droplet setting, looking at single cells. So the initially their approach is looking at single B cells, um, looking at how immune cells like B cells generate antibodies, whether that antibody is effective against specific antigen. So when I started the therapeutic aspect for this company, Leverage the Single Cell Platform, where we start saying if we could find anybody from the single B cell against certain immune targets and looking at at the single cell level, we can find a beta medicine that way. And subsequently, now five years later, we have identified successfully eight clinical candidates, including a recent pandemic, COVID-19, when the outbreak comes. We, we were thinking about the best effective way is go to the patients, identify the, anybody, the patients, convalescent patients generates, where we can also produce those anybody in a bulk order to help people that have immune deficiency or, or people, you know, cannot take the vaccine, figure out ways to against cancer. So so that was one of the ways using our technology. Within six months, we start looking at COVID-19. If, the, you know, the, the patients start seeing their convalescent recovery from their own immune system, we could identify anybody's clinical candidates do IND finding within six months, we move rapid on that front. So this is one of the power and differentiating point of Hi-Fi Bio, where we can use a world-needing single-cell technology, identify quickly antibody therapeutics for patients. For immune modulation part, we have looking at antibodies that can modulate immune system fighting cancer or autoimmune diseases. So this is one way to you know address the challenges people are facing. The other part of the challenge current industry is facing is as you develop therapy to modulate immune system, you already know not every patient will respond to your drug, but there's no effective way to identify which patient population were responding to your drug. So once again, we apply single cell approach, which we using the concept called drug intelligence science means you look at the scientific context using your drugs mechanism of action to figure out what are the intelligence behind patient selection strategy. So we identify biomarker from single cell approaches to identify subpopulations where we'll be responding to a particular drug of your own development. So. In that sense, we we trying to, you know, break breakthrough approach that could be potentially change the industry practice. No, I like this a lot, but let's talk about a couple concepts that you introduced there. When you talk about this idea of single cell based approaches, is this because now most solid tumors, and if you're looking at things like, you know, you know, non-blood types cancers, glioblastoma is a good example, other ones. These are rapidly evolving cancers where the cells inside the mass are changing with each division. And so you have a kind of heterogeneity or a, I should say, genetic differences that are present within each cell of that, or well, different populations of cells within a solid tumor. And so is this why it's so important to be able to have single cell resolution to design therapies? This is one part of it. Clearly, as you highlighted, um, cancer is a very heterogeneous disease. And not only, you know, different patients can have different specific types, even within the same patient looking at a specific tumor, there could be heterogeneity of different cells have different genetic alterations. So that's also one of the power of immune therapy with immune activation. You could try to eliminate cancer cells, even they have diverse genetic background. So, but on the other hand, the immune system, so, you know, surrounding the tumors that we try to activate, attacking the tumors also can be very heterogeneous. So, so every tumor's microenvironment and 
each individual's immune system and the way how we interact with the tumor could be very different. So we think only at the single cell level, you can get the accurate picture. Otherwise, you can go with the average approach. In some situation, might could, you know, provide you a solution, but in a lot of situations where you don't address this heterogeneity, you would missing the desired therapeutic outcome because of that. When you mentioned this concept of biomarkers, what is a biomarker in the context of an immunotherapy application? Yeah. So as we, you know, trying to figure out which subpopulation could respond to your drug of development, one of the aspects is to try to figure out ways to stratify the patient. And biomarker is associated with your approaches stratify patient. For early days, um, for immunotherapy, when we start already understand even, you know, one of the most effective immunotherapy, PD-1, cannot have every patient respond to that drug. People start looking for ways to separate patients. And so, so people start looking at, for example, tumor mutation burden or PDL one it's ligand like expression that that's very straightforward you could imagine you know if a patient they they have the receptor and their ligand also high expression versus no expression they might responding to the drug differently so type of approaches where you could start looking at you know a genes expression in PD1 situation you're looking at PDL1 expression or you could looking at a mixture, like tumor mutation burden is a mixture of readouts. As long as you figure out ways to distinguish one patient versus the other, we call those approaches that the molecular signature you're looking at as a biomarker. So right now, often, you know, when people are looking for biomarker, they get a tumor sample, they do a book bulk analysis, which means you know the tumor and its environment is heterogeneous, but you get a signal from the average of those different cells. And uh, we think, you know, the, the concept of drug intelligence science is we think the average of those signals will mask a lot of true biomarker identification. So if you can separate them, although in that situation, you could imagine each patient samples, you're not looking at one readout, you're looking at thousands of readouts. The amount of information is going to be constant and enhanced tremendously. So that's where we actually start, you know, having a group data scientist to using machine learning to, to try to dissect the complexity of the single cell data, try to figure out what are the cell markers you know, differentiating from the cells that um, does not respond to the drug or responding to the drug. So, so from that perspective, you know, the single cell analysis bring as much higher resolution to the drug response readout. And that's also one of the things associated with, with our company name, Hi-Fi Bio is high fidelity biology. <laughs> we wanted to really reflect the choose of the disease setting and figure out the patients that who might be responding to, to the drugs or not. When you talk about this idea of single cell profiling, and I really want to make sure that I understand this for, and, and communicate this for the listener, is that by looking at a single cell, you're able to, to identify discrete potential therapies or antibodies that would work in that single cell environment and would be effective against that cell. Whereas that single cell as part of a mass of cells or part of a population of cells, that signal that, that really describes its best vulnerability is lost because it's drowned out in the signal of all of the other cells. So is, is that really what we're looking at is that this single cell approach allows you to develop therapies based upon that one signature that, and, and, and then go with it that may otherwise be lost. Yeah, I think that 
you know, aspect of figure out a small population that could be a driving force where you could get the drug modulate, then they can amplify it. So you could imagine, you know, a patient initially, they have a subpopulation of cells that without drug treatment, they were not having enough power to be anti-tumor activity. And if you look at the patient, you wouldn't even be able to see those cells because they are just going to be drawn in the signature. But what, because you, they are going to be just averaged out. You, you don't have a readout for that. And when you look at individual cells, you start seeing that although it could be a subpopulation, but they can rapidly gain the power through activation, proliferation, especially such as exhausted CD8 positive cells, where, you know, upon our drug treatment, there are certain patients have that T-cell clonotypes, where can they rapid grow and activate to fight tumor? So you can identify those that population out and you can predict which patient may or may not respond yeah, I to guess, that. Yeah, I think that's really my next question is that if you identify in a single cell a type of vulnerability or, or a place where you could design the drug target, that's in one patient, in one cell, in one solid tumor, for instance, or one population of cells in a solid tumor. Are there common mutations that we see pop up again and again that are shared between individuals that once you identify that biomarker, then you can apply that same drug to multiple people. Exactly, Kevin. You brought up a really super important point is why every individual is different. There are certain underlying mechanisms. They are consistent. That's where our immune systems are building certain basic fundamentals we could share <laughs> among each other. So what we are trying to figure out is what are the shared most common mechanisms among us to maximize the benefit versus, you know, each individual is different. You don't want to target specific each individuals, which, you know, I, I cannot say it's totally ineffective, but it will be less effective here with if you understand underlying general mechanisms where you could develop drug to more. No, very good. That really helps a lot. So if we talk about pipeline, what are some of the drugs that are being developed right now for which specific cancers and how far along are? Thank you for asking because we're very excited to, you know, share with everyone that we have currently two clinical candidate in phase one study. One is targeting TNFR2, one is targeting OPS40. So as I mentioned, there are two type of mechanism, whether you release the brake or hit the gas. So far, those two you could view as the molecules that hit the gas. Because over the time, we find our checkpoint inhibitor has been effective. People start saying, why we couldn't develop immune agonists, stimulate immune response, that should be more effective than just release the brain. So they were, they have been quite a few efforts centered around that. So far, the clinical outcomes is not very effective. As you could imagine, Kevin, sometimes people hit the gas too much. <laughs> the uh, the survey become toxic, right? There are too much side effects for the patient to tolerate. And there are sometimes people don't hit the gas enough. The core doesn't go forward with it. So to understand the level of immune activation is super important. And we can monitor that also effectively if we apply our single cell technology, we can develop drugs, understand at the immune you know, cells at the single cell level where what level of activation we should be and whether, you know, it might be possibly bring general toxicity. So, so we have gained the learning from previous effort as well as now applying our own unique DIS approach. So we hoping we'll be one of the first in the world who develop immune agonists. Well, very good. And just to kind of put it in average language, 
what kinds of disorders would these be most effective against? Right. So, so indeed, you were asking what type of tumors. So actually, we went into indications where we have already applied our drug intelligence science approach, looking at single-cell immune contacts. We find out if you're looking at all solid tumors right now, we, we're focused on solid tumor. Only a subset of solid tumor with TNFR2 oxybody modulation makes sense. So we, we selected indications based on a single cell immune profiling. So we're not going to all comers for all solid tumors. So that already the first step enhanced our likelihood of success. But even within the tumor types, we see the mechanisms applies. We also realize that certain individuals may not be, you know, effect responsive towards our drug treatment. So we went ahead, applied the biomarker machine learning approach. We identified the common immune modulation mechanisms where certain patients, certain biomarkers can be predictive for responses versus, you know, non-responding population. So, so we are now in our phase one trials. We continually connecting those patient samples to do immune profiling to validate our biomarker hypothesis from clean, preclinical research. And we hope once we can validate in the phase one study, when we go to phase two, we can select to the right patient population. We can design smaller trials with better response rate. So that could also changing the whole clinical trial design and practice. Have you had successful trials in animal models or are these difficult to translate because they have something to do with the immune system? So indeed, it's always, you know, the struggle between connecting preclinical data and the clinical data, the translation, that has been a challenge in the field. One of the aspects of animal models is certain times, certain immune systems does not even, you know, corresponding to, to human tightly. So what we have been doing is to figure out animal models that most possibly translatable in a clinical setting by, you know, explore different possibilities. And on top of it, what we have been practiced consistently is in the preclinical setting model, we do ex vivo experiment. That means we obtain patient samples, not treating the patient with the drug yet because that is before we apply for IND. In the preclinical setting, where you get patient samples, you culture them ex vivo in a petri dish, where you treat them with the drugs and you can do single cell profiling that way. So from that perspective, the translation in you know, our analysis, and we're hoping to be more relevant than animal model even. And of course, with the caveat, those are not actual human patients you're treating, you know, in an in vivo setting. It's in a sure. petri dish. Yeah, and then we understand the limitations yeah. of all of that, and that, that's perfectly fine. I guess the big thing I always like to think about as we kind of conclude discussion of new technology is what does the time horizon look like? And are there other companies that are applying competing approaches? I have seen other companies and with more and more interest towards single cell approach because, you know, as I highlighted out earlier on, the bulk analysis has its own limitation and sometimes could even be misleading. So there are because corresponding to that, there are technology companies just developing single-cell technologies for, for people from industry and academic to use. But I must say this is still at the beginning. And so far, very few people really put into the single-cell practice at the clinical setting as we are doing. So the other challenge is the mass, mass amount of data people getting. How do you dealing with the data and come up with conclusions from that. So we have been investing that over the last few years. And so our data intelligence team has been able to connecting single cell data from different tumor types. So far now our single cell 
data covers eight cancer type and six autoimmune type, and it's already over 7 million single cell transcriptome that we can put together and apply machine learning to figure out cell identity and define sensitive versus resistant. Those are the work. It's just not anybody can jump in and start doing right away. Yeah, so it takes a lot of learning and pioneering and to figure out what's the best approach. But I'm confident with time goes on, there will be more and more people interesting. Well, I, I, I laugh a little bit because when you say 7 million transcriptomes, you know, I can think back to a time not that long ago where we were putting samples on Affymetrix chips to interrogate 8,200 features and being able to, you know, so it, you know, two decades ago and to be able to think of now being able to, to have sequences from single cells representing 7 million genotypes is amazing to me. And, and that's one thing that maybe we didn't talk about enough that really is an important facet of your company's approach in, in why you had to have a team with physicists is this idea of the microfluidics that are involved. So when you're trying to separate single cells that have certain attributes, can you give me a little bit of a sense of what that is about? Yeah, I actually, you know, it's really fascinating. When I first come across the single cell technology, um, just from physics angle, we have the capability to generate droplet. At that time, I heard about a thousand droplet per second. I, I already felt that, that was mind boggling how fast to make a droplet. And today we can make 5,000 to 10,000 droplet per second. So. <laughs> this is a progress we have made, you know, within the company. And we do have a group of engineers, you know, the experts of a microfluid droplet. Just thinking about a small droplet at the size of 40 picanator, we have to be able to wrap a knife cell inside that droplet. And we can track those activity of the single cell. They can secrete that anybody, we can capture that anybody and sequence that cell to figure out what's the heavy chain, light chain of that specific B cells. And or if we're looking at T cells, we can look at TCR sequence, looking at the cytokine secretes because, you know, no matter whether it's anybody secretes from B cells, cytokine from T cell, because of the droplet, all the secretion is kept into such a tiny, small droplet, you can reach a high concentration that is detectable. So our, you know, Engineers not only can make the droplet wrapping the cells, we can detect the signal of activity of the cells. Then we can subsequently sort it out that specific droplet and sequence that cell, not only a specific genes, but the whole transcriptome. So, so, you know, when I think about the technology, how it has been evolved, it's just amazing. When I was back at graduate school, we were involved in one of the first flow cytometry to this day, 30 plus years later, flow has been widely used, you know, in, in industry and academics. And I think single cell, another 30 years from now on will be. Yeah. So just to clarify for the audience, you know, flow cytometry is just this process where you're able to move cells through a, basically a narrow channel where you use a dye or some other kind of visual or fluorescent uh, substance to be able to learn things about the cell, whether it's maybe the content of DNA or binding of a certain, you know, two molecules together, a number of different things you can figure out. And then you can use this in cell sorting, move them to one side or the other. What we're discussing here yeah. is a microfluidics level. So where droplets that are, what did you say, 40 picoliters? So picoliters yes. is 10 to the minus 12 liters. <laughs> so think about that. So trillions of a liter, and then inside there you have a cell, and then that cell is producing an antibody that is binding with its target, and or or not, and so they can determine using their microfluidics platform whether or not they have an antibody that's interacting with the target or not. And so you get hits, you get non-hits, and so the beauty of this is that. It all, it's all sorted. And then you can go ahead and look at all the hits and take those apart using bioinformatics, to understand the, the DNA sequences that are the RNA or the sequences that underlie 
the production of those heavy chains and light chains to make these custom antibodies that are binding these custom targets. Did I get that correct? You summarized beautifully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure I got that right. Cause I, I think I understand this. I think it's so cool. And, I, and it makes me think of things I do in my laboratory now at how I could do them on a different scale. And, and it really is very, very exciting. And I wanted to just add one more level of interest here is we now learn not only putting one cell in the droplet, we can also put two cells in the droplet. So just imagine, you know, you can looking at a secret, a B cell secreted certain antibody binds to a cell that have the expression of the antigen. Or, you know, if you see an immune cell attacking a tumor cell, you know, and so, so there's a lot of possibility when you start can putting two or three cells into that droplet to look at the biology and we can modulate the droplet size according. No, to absolutely. Biology. You just increase your throughput and it's very exciting. Yeah. One of the other things I noticed from the website is just the global presence of the company. And is that something that really is just exploiting the diversity of talent that's out there, or does it also have important implications for diversity and patience? Thanks, Kevin, for bringing this up. Indeed, we are a small startup, but with the global presence, one of the things we think is, as you point out, clearly there are diversity among patients. We wanted to see local medical needs and why we're trying to understand certain common underlining and scientific mechanisms centered around immune modulation, we clearly also would like to understand the differences among different patient populations. One other aspect that I think it was super beneficial for us is to access scientific thinking at a global level. And you, you know, would probably See from our website, we promote open innovation concept. That means when we start developing innovative therapies, we're not only do it on our own. We wanted to work with the top scientific leaders and you know clinical researchers globally to come up with innovative therapy. And so far, you know, our presence in U.S., Europe, and China has been really enable us to start setting up multiple collaborations, scientific collaborations, advisors at different continents. And, uh, you know, last but not least, as you also mentioned, the talent, diverse pool of the talent. We, we could bring in people with different expertise and different thoughts. And we talked about, you know, diversity brings the innovation to the next level. And that's what we have been benefiting. Well, very well. good. I think one of the things that this podcast does for a lot of people is keeps them informed of the latest innovations and the companies that are producing them, but also maybe some of the products and some of their applications. And so if you had to get out the crystal ball and make a prediction going forward, what would you imagine might be the first big drug and what problem would it target? You know, I, I don't want to sound too boastful, <laughs> boasting on that one, but, but I, you know, just came in to your question of my prediction of the future breakthroughs. I do think immune modulation could be one of the next, you know, breakthrough because we really have a lot of healing power within ourselves. And the question is how to come up with the best approaches. And I think combining single cell and immune modulation, deep understanding of the knowledge and anticipating now with more and more, you know, power of machine learning, AI type of approach, it will bring the next breakthrough therapy for patients. And, and that's what we try to practice at Hi-Fi Bio. No, very good. And, you know, you are such a scientist and I adore that. And I appreciate your conservative nature because I wear a scientist hat in a lab coat myself. And I never like <laughs> to put the cart ahead of the horse. But at the same time, we have listeners who desperately need a, a cart and a horse. And so this is why I bring that up. It just is maybe a way to get people hopeful that good solutions are coming from innovative approaches. So 
I guess the last question is if people wanted to learn more about Hi-Fi Bio, where could they find out more from either a website or possibly from social media? Indeed, Kevin, you can find us more details at www.hifibio.com. We are also have presence in LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. So follow us. Dr. Schweitzer, thank you very, very much for speaking with me today on the podcast. And I hope you can come back when you have some big breakthroughs you'd love to talk about. I would love to. Thank you very much, Kevin, for your time. It's such a pleasure talking to you. And once again, we hear about a big innovation and a new technique to solve an important problem. And to me, again, it just brings the idea of hope through new technologies. And these are things that, you know, me as a, as a biotech aficionado and someone who studies the literature that even I don't know about and I'm learning about as we go and we're doing this together. So if this is what we're learning week to week, imagine what else is out there too. So awesome that High Five Bio is in this space and creating these new solutions and hopefully being able to bring cures for the diseases that really are problematic to us most. So thank you very much for listening. Once again, tell a friend, write a review on the place you consume podcast media. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Now, today's podcast was brought to you by Calabra. Managing scientific teams can be a lot like herding cats. Independent-minded professionals are set in their ways, and change can be challenging. These are the problems that Collabra software was designed to address. Collabra's electronic laboratory notebooks incentivize positive change with solutions that make records management easy. All Collabra features, including note-taking, task management, inventory, protocols, and collaboration, are free forever for up to 10 users. So there's absolutely no risk in trying it out. Learn more at collabra.app. That's spelled C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. -P.